Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So while I haven't fully figured out what the title of the episode is, it's all around how to deal with not getting closure from the person that ended the relationship. Now, this is primarily me talking about romantic relationships, but you could also apply a lot of what I talk about in this episode to friendships that have ended and even jobs that you have lost that you didn't really get much of an explanation around, okay? So... We're covering everything, but the the bulk of it is going to be about romantic relationships. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole, we, we, this episode is going to cover basically how to deal with the pain of not getting closure, why it hurts so much, why some people need closure more than other people because it's like a sliding scale of how much closure you need, um, why we feel that we can't move on without it, because there's valid reasons why we can't move on without closure. And then I'm going to talk about how to change where to find that closure, because I'm not saying, oh, don't seek closure, don't look for it. But I'm going to say, don't seek closure from the individual that caused you the pain. Create the closure yourself. So that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. I don't have a life update other than good times, life is great, I know the, what's it called? I know the influence. I know the whatever and the vibes. I'm now with listener. I've got an intro sound as well, which is very emotional because I've been talking about, I actually listened to like my second or third episode and I'm like, guys, I'm going to do an intro sound. Three and a half years later, we have an intro sound. So I'm pumped. This is like a huge milestone needs to be celebrated. That's pretty much my love update. So we're going to get straight into the brain fact of today. And the brain fact of today is again going into the personality disorders. And I'm going to be explaining borderline personality disorder. I think this is a really good one to understand or, I mean, you're not going to get the deepest understanding just of a quick brain fact, but it will give you a bit of an overview of what borderline personality disorder is. Now, this is going by the DSM-5 Just a quick little rundown. The DSM-5 stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Fifth edition, because there's been another four editions prior to that. And when we talk about personality disorders, they're clustered. I spoke about this like two episodes ago, but there's different clusters, cluster A, cluster B, cluster C. And I spoke about histrionic personality disorder a couple of episodes ago. And this is also in cluster B disorders and cluster B disorders are categorized as unpredictable, dramatic, or intensely emotional responses to things. And there's four cluster B disorders. We've got antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, that's what we're talking about today, histrionic personality disorder, which we covered, I think, two weeks ago, and narcissistic personality disorder, which I cover all the fucking time. Um, So let's just go over what the overview of borderline personality disorder is. BPD is what I'm going to refer to it for the rest of this brain fact. BPD is a pervasive pattern of instability in interpersonal relationships, self-image and emotion, as well as marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. 
contexts. So this is indicated by five or more of the following nine symptoms slash nine criteria. And with everything in the DSM-5, well, maybe not everything, but with a lot of disorders in the DSM-5, you will realise that there's normally like a whole list of symptoms or criteria and there's a minimum amount that you have to you know, tick off in order to have that diagnosis. You might think, oh my God, my best friend for sure has BPD, but then you look at these symptoms and they've only got four, then they would not be diagnosed. Also, you can't be diagnosing your mates. You know them too much on a personal level. It has to be obviously a professional. That goes without saying. But it has to be a minimum of five out of the nine. Some people have all nine. Some people do not. So these are the nine. Number one, chronic feelings of emptiness. Two, emotional instability in reaction to day-to-day events. So that's irritability, intense sadness or anxiety that lasts from a few hours, rarely up to a few days. Mainly it's just a few hours at a time. Number three, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Number four, identify disturbance with markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Number five, impulsive behaviours in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So spending money, substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, whatever, um, binge eating, sex. Number six, inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, displays of temper or recurring physical fights. So people that are always engaging in physical fights, always trying to start a fight, things like that. Number seven, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by extremes between idealization and devaluation. So you're going between the highs and lows of your relationships, like to absolute extremes. Number eight, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, threats, or self-harming behavior. And number nine, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. Okay. So like I said, to be diagnosed, you need five of the nine as a minimum. Um, But there are some people that have all nine, but I don't know what, I don't know what the statistics are on who has all nine and how many people have less than that. But basically it's a condition that impacts someone's ability to manage their own emotions, to put it really, really simply. It feels like for the people that have borderline personality disorder, it feels like very intense emotions and a loss of control over these intense emotions. And it negatively, strongly negatively impacts their relationships. Often people with BPD find it really difficult to be alone. They might push others away, even though they want them to be in a long lasting relationship with them because they've got this like push pull. They go to the extremes of the highs and the lows in the relationships. And they normally are likely to lead a chaotic and impulsive life as a coping mechanism. It normally begins in early adulthood. Like most disorders, you're not going to, you're likely not going to diagnose something before the age of 18 because there's still so much, so many changes, so much development going on in the teenage and childhood years. So these, a lot of diagnoses do not occur until 18 or older. And The cause, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things. Genetics does play a role. A lot of mental disorders, genetics plays a role. Life experiences, traumatic experiences, abuse, situations of neglect or abandonment. And in some cases, very emotionally stressful events can set off BPD. So if you went through like a really traumatic, a really intense heartbreak, that may be enough to just trigger you kind of spiraling and and having these symptoms of BPD. Treatment. 
So one of the main treatments for this is dialectical behavioural therapy, DBT, which was actually developed specifically for BPD. And this focuses on mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness and education around helping you regulate your emotions. And so this is a treatment specifically for this disorder. Then we've got schema therapy and schema is like your deep seated, your deep rooted beliefs about yourself and your position in the world and how you interpret, how you interact with others and what you are deserving of all of that. So schema therapy and psychodynamic therapy as well. Medicine is not going to be the main treatment for this. However, BPD has a lot of comorbidities with things like anxiety, bipolar, depression, things like that. So if someone's being treated for their anxiety or bipolar or depression and being administered certain medications, certain drugs to treat those things and those things are working effectively, then you might see that the symptoms of BPD are going to improve because there isn't the anxiety, bipolar or depression symptoms as well. So it kind of helps, but in an indirect way, if that makes sense. So good times. That is BPD in a very tight nutshell. That's the brain fact of today. Now let's get into the episode of today. Okay, so we're talking about closure. We're talking about where to find closure, how to deal with a situation where you have not been given closure by the person that person that caused you the pain. So the first thing we're going to be covering is some key points on why it is so painful when you are struggling with not having any closure from a situation and not being given closure from someone that's broken your heart or abandoned you or whatever. Okay, so I'm going to go through some key points as to why it's hurting you so much. And then I'm going to talk about ways, different ways that you can approach this so you stop hurting so much and you stop needing closure from the person that caused you the pain and you can instead start healing your own heart and moving forward. So why is it hurting you so much? Number one, you are putting the power in the hands of the person that hurt you. You are basically saying, you hurt me, but you need to heal me. And I still need something from you in order to heal. So you're basically saying, I can't move on. I'm kind of in limbo until you fix this situation. I need answers. I need explanations. I need a reason as to why this ended. I need to fit all the pieces in this puzzle in my head so it makes sense to me. And if you can't provide that for me, then I cannot move on. That's really very dangerous way of thinking because it puts the responsibility on them, the person who has left you. The moment someone leaves a relationship, unfortunately, and as harsh as this sounds, they are not responsible for your feelings. It sounds awful, but it's the truth. They're not. They're not in a relationship with you. There's not this 50-50 where you have to like pull your weight in. the. They're, they're, they're done. And as much as you can call them, oh my God, you're an asshole and you should and you should this, should that, it doesn't matter. They're not in a relationship with you. So they actually don't owe you anything. And you've got to come to terms with that as quickly as possible. Because if you're putting the responsibility on someone who actually technically doesn't owe you anything, then you're going to be waiting a very fucking long time. Okay. Number two, you've got to realize that just because something is not your fault, it is still your responsibility when it comes to emotional healing. Fucked things are going to happen to you. Things that are really unfair, but 
to think, I didn't cause this, I don't have to fix this, you caused it, you fixed it, you're putting yourself in a very powerless situation because you're basically saying, again, you're basically saying, I don't have power in this situation. I There's nothing I can do. And it's this victim mentality and you're unintentionally playing the role of the victim. I mean, some people might do it intentionally, but I would imagine that most people unintentionally are playing the role of the victim and they are kind of, woe is me, I've been heartbroken. Now my walls are going to be up. Now I can't, you know, be vulnerable again in another relationship because this person has not, you know, fixed it or they haven't explained it. They haven't, I don't have closure. So I'm just going to suffer here. It is your responsibility to do the work and to mend your own broken heart. It is not the responsibility of the person that has broken up with you to do that. Okay. They're fucking off cruising through life, living their best life. You're the one who's sitting here suffering. And you can sit here and say, they're an asshole, fuck them, all this shit. But who's hearing it? No one. You're the one who's hearing it. You're sitting at home suffering because you're fixating on these things when ultimately, as much as it's unfair, as much as it sucks, as much as unfair things happen to you, it is still your responsibility to fix your broken heart because no one else is going to do it for you nobody. And when you think, oh yeah, but if I fall in love with someone else, it's not, it's not your new love's responsibility to fix your broken heart either. It is your responsibility, nobody else's. Number three, not everything is going to be fair. So things in life do not have to be fair and they do not have to be in order for you to be allowed to be happy. If that's how you feel, if you think when this all makes sense, I will then be happy. You will be waiting your entire life to be happy because you have to come to terms with the fact that life is full of contrast, beautiful moments and fucked up moments, really lovely people and really unfair people who you'll just never understand how they operate and you'll never understand how they were able to do something to you the way they did. That's life. It's fucking life. Okay. So, if you, the quicker you can come to terms with the fact that there are going to be things in life that you'll never understand, that you will never be able to comprehend why it happened, that, you know, you think this is so unfair. How could someone interpret it this way? How could someone ghost me after we literally saw each other for months after I blah, 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 blah. You're going to realize that the quicker you can come to terms with realizing that that is just part of reality and it sucks, then you're going to find a lot more peace in your life. Okay. Life is the main thing about life is all about moving past what is unfair and accepting the things that you cannot control and moving forward and learning your lessons from that. If you can control them, then you can change them. If you can't control them, i.e. any other human being that's not you, then you need to move on. Okay. You thinking I need to control this situation, I need to control that person to get, you're going to get nowhere, okay? And you're going to be sad for a very, very long time. The next thing we're going to talk about is, the next category that we're talking about is what to do with closure and how to move forward productively with it. So the first thing to know is closure in and of itself is not a bad thing. But where you get the closure from is the difference between suffering and between peace of mind. Everyone, everyone has their form of closure. I actually don't think that anyone genuinely is comfortable with not having closure because some people's form of closure is just saying it is what it is. And that's their form of closure. Like they are prepared to be like, 
I am realizing that there's never going to be an explanation. So I'm just going to close that chapter and walk away. Some people are like, no, 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 no. I need to get to the bottom of this. I need answers. I need, I need to know exactly what part of my own behavior caused this, this reaction in this partner. And so they need to investigate it, crack it open, dig deep. And, you know, they need answers. But everyone has their form of closure. And that's healthy to an extent. Some people do it in a healthy way. Some people not so much. But there are good ways and there's not so good ways about it. So the first thing to ask yourself in this first point is, are you seeking closure externally? As in, are you seeking it from someone who hurt you? Are you seeking it from someone who does not know how to give you closure or who does not want to give you closure? And are you seeking it from someone who caused the pain? Sometimes we'll be pushing our exes for an answer. I'm the the number one person to admit that I did that with my exes, both my exes, where I was so like shocked and the rug was ripped out from underneath me both times and I was devastated and I was like, I just need answers. I need clarity. I need clarity. I need it. I was going like insane, right? So I was like borderline begging for a reason and for an answer because I was thinking if you can let me know what went wrong, then maybe I could convince you that things could change and we could stay together or I could understand what I did wrong so I don't repeat the same mistake, all that shit, right? But here I was trying to get closure from people who in both cases for different reasons did not want to give closure. The first reason was because he had completely mentally checked out and he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm done. I'm fucking saying it. But I can't and leaves like, you know, that was it. The second reason was because he was a narcissist. So the last thing a narcissist is going to do is give closure. But here I am like wasting my time trying to get closure from someone who either does not want to give it or does not know how to give it. Okay. So make sure that when you're seeking closure, you're seeking it internally, not externally. Number two you realize that people who have a strong need for closure, as in like answers and to dissect the whole thing, are also going to have a very low tolerance for uncertainty and ambiguity in general. So you might notice within yourself that if you're someone that's like, I need to know what we're doing tonight. Don't come at me with like, oh, we'll just go with the flow. I need things planned. I don't like, don't give me a maybe. It's a yes or it's a no. You may think, you may like see the correlation that you also need you know, concrete closure with certain things in your life, okay? Um, these people who have a strong need for closure also have this, like they need to feel a sense of finality when something, especially something emotional is coming to an end in their life. They need to be like, okay, I need this to be finalized. And when they're going through a divorce, they want that divorce finalized on the day that it can be legally finalized. You know, they need finality, um, even if something is really difficult or painful or probably more so when something's difficult or painful. And again, this is not a bad thing, but the issue is when you're, if you're someone who's so fixated on closure and your version of closure is details, 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 cracking it open, that's when it can become a bad thing because sometimes you're seeking information that just doesn't exist. Sometimes we think we know, we preempt what the closure would be and we start catastrophizing, we start spiraling. But in reality, we have no idea how to read someone else's mind and we're kind of creating all these what ifs in our head, thinking that we know what the answer would be, but now we need to hear it and it's just never going to come. It doesn't exist. 
The next thing is, the third thing is we feel this intense need, humans in general feel this intense need to make sense of something. So don't feel bad for wanting to make sense of a certain thing. This is where your logic and your emotion kind of has a little bit of a battle here. And this is where you can use your logic to calm your emotional side of you down. Okay. So these two parts of the brain when you do it often can communicate quite well to each other. That's, you know, where you start. And when you, fun fact, the more you meditate and the more you exercise, the easier it is for the logical part of your brain and for the emotional part of the brain to communicate. That's where you can calm yourself. You self-soothe a lot better. So meditate and exercise, guys, every day. Um, But basically, I'm going on a tangent, but basically we have to understand that it's going to be our initial reaction to want to make sense of something. And then when you realize, okay, in this situation, an emotional traumatic situation or an emotionally difficult situation, I can't make sense of that thing. So my logic is saying I acknowledge that this is, you know, my initial reaction to make sense of things so I can feel secure But logically, I'm going to realize that this is not an answer that I can get from the person that's hurt me. Because if I try and get the answer from the person that's hurt me, I'm putting the power in their hands and then I'm feeling less powerful. And therefore, this is affecting my self-esteem. It's affecting my confidence instead of taking the power back into my own hands. So we always, as humans, we always want to put things together. We don't like it when something doesn't make sense. And our brains don't compute well, or our consciousness doesn't compute well when we feel incomplete. And then we tell ourselves that I just can't go on until this is resolved, which is bullshit. You can go on until something's resolved. We love to tell ourselves lies all the fucking time because we're biased, right? And we're like, if it works for us to be the victim in this situation, then we'll fabricate all these reasons as to why we're going to stay in this victim mentality. But there's shit that we don't understand all the time and we gladly use it. I don't understand how Instagram works, like the back end. I happily use it. Electricity, how the engine in my car works. Don't fucking know. Don't fucking care because it works for me. So we are actually fine not understanding a lot of the shit that occurs in our life. We just selectively say, oh, I can't go on until I actually have the answer. Bullshit. You can, okay? Just just bring your logic into it and be like, actually, I can. And here is all these examples in the past where I've moved on where, yes, it sucked. Yes, I've suffered. But I actually am alive and I've moved on and I'm better for it. Another thing that we do is we commonly fear the unknown, right? And sometimes we think that the unknown is going to be so much worse than like the painful truth, but that's not the case, okay? We we actually are pretty good at dealing with the unknown. We just have to kind of, again, bring the logic mind to, into it and practice it a little bit more because this truth, this painful truth we actually don't know where that ends. So for example, what I mean by this is if if you're having a conversation with your ex who broke your heart and they they were like, yep, I'll come to the table. I'll have the conversation with you. If you were to say, why did you end things? Why? I have to know the answer. And they give you the answer. Then, then that triggers more questions. Well, why does this mean that we can't be together? And then they give you the answer. Well, like, but what if it changed? What, what, what? There's always going to be questions. You're never going to have a finality to every single offshoot question that there is. Sometimes receiving an answer from someone makes it more of like a, a muddy cloud in your head. 
Sometimes the best answer is the fact that someone has walked away and not chosen to stay and fight. That's a pretty good answer because while I may not, while I may not know the exact reasons as to why they walked away, it's kind of enough information for me. It's kind of like, well, if you genuinely do not want to be with me and you are walking away, that is my answer, is it not? Now, another thing that's really important to think about is that you've got to realise that they may not care enough to provide you with closure at all. And that is one of the most painful things. And it can be really, really damaging to your self-esteem to be seeking answers from someone who no longer wants to give you the time of day to give you that answer. That is extremely painful. And we think that they'll be able to give us the answer because we think that they're going to prioritize the relationship and the breakup as much as we do because we're suffering so much and we think that they're going to be suffering as much as we are when often when someone ends the relationship, not in every case, but a lot of the times when someone ends a relationship, they've processed it in their own very comfortable time. They've taken their time to process it and they've arrived at a conclusion at a time that works for them. And then they've actioned that conclusion by ending the relationship. Meanwhile, you're like, what the fuck? Like it's just come out all of, out of a sudden you're, you're struggling. You feel abandoned. You feel in pain. You're like, oh my God, I need to. They've had months likely to think about this. They've processed it. They've thought about it on good days. They've thought about it on bad days. They're done, right? They've they've thought about this a lot in general. So they've already moved past a lot of these feelings that you're currently feeling right now. So when they look at how you're responding to it, they're kind of like, mm, that kind of sucks, but I'm, I've moved on. I'm past that stage. You'll get over it the way I got over it kind of thing. That's how a lot of people think. And this is, this is even when I'm talking about good people in your life. I'm not talking about narcissists and assholes because that also like factors in. But I'm talking about people that are actually kind and care about you. They've already gone through what you've gone through in their head. So it's difficult for them to return back to that place. They kind of are ready to tap out, leave the relationship. They don't want to be like going round and round and round in circles with this thing. Now, the main thing, this is probably the biggest thing that I want to talk about when it comes to closure, is that most breakups, if not every breakup that you didn't see coming, the ones that you are shocked, the ones where you really need the closure, are due to personal reasons from the person who's ending the relationship. Okay? So what I mean by that is the relationships that end mutually, you don't need closure from. You've mutually ended the relationship. There's no need for closure. You've had these conversations. You've figured it out. This isn't working for either of us. So that category, you don't need closure. The ones where there was so much fighting and so much conflict, even if you wanted it to stay, you understand why this person is leaving because it was so chaotic. So you don't need closure from that either. You're like, you obviously couldn't put up with this any further. Yes, I wanted to stay, but in reality, it was a very unhealthy relationship. I kind of get it, right? So you don't need closure from that one. You've got your closure. You get the reason. The ones where it's it's a direct consequence for something that you did and they're leaving you because you backstabbed them, you cheated on them, you were never available. Yes, it hurts. But again, you know exactly why they left because it's a direct consequence of your action. So they're like, I'm tapping out because you've done this to me. You don't need closure on that because you got your answer. So if it's a mystery as to why somebody has left you, those are the scenarios where you need closure when it's a mystery. And that is... Always, if, well, most of the time, it's because the person was going through something 
completely personal that often didn't have much to do with you and were struggling with these internal demons and then were like, I can't be in this relationship. I just don't love them. Nothing wrong with them. I just don't love them. And they end it. And that's where it's so painful for you to deal with because you're like, I want answers. But the, the times where you so desperately want answers because it was such a mystery is the times where you cannot get the answers because it's got com- it's completely to do with what that person was experiencing in their own head. It's not got to do with the dynamic of the relationship. It's not got to do with the fact that it, you mutually felt that way. And it likely does not have to do with the direct consequence of your actions unless you are so unaware that you've gone and done something horrible to them and you still don't know why they left you, which is very unlikely. Okay. So I want you to realize that when you're in a situation where you're like, I have no answers, there's your answer. Your answer is that this person was going through something personal and as much as it sucks, it probably didn't have much to do with you directly. Indirectly, yes, because you're dating them, but directly, no. Okay. The next thing is, this is the third last thing. If someone wants to eject themselves from your life, no matter how lovely they are, you must allow it. Okay, you only ever, only ever fight for a relationship when both people are fighting for the relationship. You cannot fight for something when the other person is walking out the door. That is absolutely impossible. And it is so bad for your relationship with yourself to do that to yourself. I, I couldn't say that more, like more intensely. You should never beg for someone who does not want you ever. And it's awful. And I know it because like I said, I've done that before. I've been there. And the feeling, the the feeling of begging for a second opportunity in a relationship and then being rejected again after you've begged when someone's already said, I don't like, I don't want this, I'm leaving. And then you beg and they're like, no, I'm leaving. That feeling is fucking soul destroying and everybody deserves better than that. You deserve better than that. I deserved better than that. We all fucking deserve better than that shit. Them not wanting you the first time is all the information you're ever going to need, okay? It sounds brutal, but it is the fucking truth. And and if someone wants you to chase them to prove your love, don't, because that is not a healthy relationship. If someone's like, let's test the boundaries, I'm going to dump your sorry ass so you fucking chase me and then I, then you prove your love to me, leave. If some if fucking Tyrone ever threatened me with a breakup and was like, we're done to see how much I'd fight, I'd be like, I'm devastated, but see ya, right? Because that is not how you treat someone you love. You do not threaten them with a breakup ever. And if you're currently someone right now in a relationship where you threaten with bre- breakups left, right and center, stop it immediately. It is so disrespectful. It is the rudest thing you can do to a partner is to threaten, is to like dangle the breakup threat constantly. That's absolutely not okay. And if you're going to threaten it, mean it and follow through the moment that person like crosses that boundary. Otherwise you're a dickhead. Now to get a little bit lighter... The second last thing, we're going to look for amazing examples of love and let that be the peace of mind that you need. So one of the things that I did that really helped me kind of like move on from needing this closure is that I thought about the relationship that I had been in. And while I loved the person and all of that, it wasn't the healthiest relationship. There was, you know, in hindsight, I could see that there wasn't the best communication or the best treatment or whatever. But then I would think in the times where I would be crying myself to sleep, I'd then remind myself, I'd be like, 
what is my ideal example of love? And I'm very fortunate to have a family where there's a lot of really strong examples of love. My grandparents had really, really good relationships. My parents, I've, I've seen it all throughout my family, really strong examples of love, right? So I would fixate on that and think, God, that that is love, right? That is love. That's where people really communicate with each other. It doesn't mean they don't have arguments. It doesn't mean that they don't like blow up at each other here and there, but the way they treat each other, the way that they always are working towards something together. And then I realized, did I have that? No, I didn't. And the fact that someone just wanted to leave my life without saying, hey, there's an issue in this relationship. Can we work on this together? The fact that they just wanted to tap out and leave is instantaneously means it doesn't align with what my ideal version of love looked like. So then I felt a little bit better because I'm like, the love that I want in my life is not the one I had. I kind of was kidding myself. And if someone can just up and go and not explain it, it's because it wasn't the right kind of love. I was kind of thinking it was, but the love that I wanted was one with communication, one with understanding, one with honesty, one with passion. And if someone, if you, if you can reflect back onto the relationship that you had, that you're struggling with, you think if someone's willing to just walk away for no reason, then it's just not the kind of love that I want at all. Because if I would never just be willing to walk away without trying to fight for the relationship. And if I was willing to walk away without trying to fight for the relationship, then it's not the fucking right relationship for me, is it? No, it's not. Now, the last thing, the last point is cut and color your hair. And that is my metaphor for creating some change to draw a line in the sand. You've heard me speak about it before, but there is like a, well, not technically, but I feel like I need to do a PhD on this. There's a fucking science, but not really, on why people cut and color their hair after a breakup. And it is the best thing ever. When someone goes to a breakup and they change their hair, I'm like, yes, because you're serious about it. Basically, the reason people do that is because they're trying to draw a line in the sand and be like, that was the old life and you, the ex, is attached to the old life. I now want a definitive marker that draws the line between that's my old life, I associate that with my old life, and this is now my new life where uh, there's no turning back. So when someone does something like cut and colour their hair, and that's obviously a metaphor for when they do any major change, it's them saying, I'm not going back now. I've made this drastic thing. I've cut a bob or a blob or whatever you call it, lob. Blob? Lob. <laughs> my producer's laughing at me. <laughs> a blob. <laughs> Don't cut yourselves a blob, guys. A lob. Okay. Hey, if you like lobs, I'm here for it. I've colored it. You know, you, 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 you literally change how you feel. You feel like you are, there's a new layer to who you are. It's like, I've got this new personality. I've, I'm, you know, like it feels good. I've done it. Most breakups I've had, I think I've changed something in my hair and it is the best feeling. So when you're seeking closure, go and change something drastic in your life. Change your style, change your hair, cha do something that's like, I've drawn a fucking line in the sand and there's no going back. Shave your fucking head, okay? So that's what we're going to do. That will help you create closure for yourself. That's you saying, I'm closing the chapter on this thing. I'm going to be the one that draws the line in the sand. I don't need this shit from you because me waiting to get closure from you is me basically saying, I'm not powerful enough to create my own healing. You need to do it for me. Take charge cut and color your hair, 
get the power back, draw a line in the sand, and there's a difference between the old life within that relationship and the new where you are now. Okay? Now, time for the listener question. You have one unheard message. Hi, Alexis. First, I want to say that I absolutely adore your podcast. I've been listening since my freshman year of university and love that you do a brain fact at the start of your episodes. I'm majoring in psychology and I'm interested in pursuing my master's in neuroscience. Yes. And all this to say, I really don't understand people sometimes. Lol. I, 20 years old, was recently broken up with with my now ex, 24 years old, who wanted to keep the door open to see if we'll be better for each other in the future. And it just kind of felt like he was keeping me as an option too. You know, if all else fails kind of thing. The breakup really rocked me and I'm having trouble getting back on my feet. I lost motivation for what I normally love to do. And it's hard to focus on paying attention in uni and the constant feeling of not doing enough and imposter syndrome is overwhelming. I guess I was just wondering if you had any advice on how to regain control of yourself and tune out the thoughts of not being good enough. Thanks so much. Best. Okay. I would never, ever, ever, ever be okay with someone saying, let's keep the door open. The door is fucking shut, cunt. If you've ended the relationship with me, see you later slash see you. Never. Because when a relationship ends, it should end. That's it. It's final. If if you get back together in the future, it's because you're two fucking consenting adults wanting to return to each other under new parameters, under new circumstances, and it is a brand new relationship. None of this bullshit of like, keep the fucking door open, I'll have you on lay-by. Um, hello, are we not consenting adults? Can we not, if if we decide to cross, path, cross paths again in the future and decide that we want to have a relationship, can we not discuss it then? Why are you keeping the door open now? The door's shut, mate, and I'm not having a bar of you. So if someone said keep the door open, I'd laugh in their face politely, but I'd be laughing pretty hard and I would close that door. Your self-confidence will instantly go up a rung, if not multiple rungs, because you'll think... I at least have taken a little bit of the power back. I don't need to be your option number two. Cheers for the offer, but no thanks. And I will completely sever this. You will feel like you have taken in a, in a position where you're powerless, you feel like you've gained a little bit of power back. Okay. In the sense of like, I'm not waiting for you because when you're in a situation where you're waiting and when you're like hoping, hope, hope is a weak dog. Okay. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to breakups specifically, hoping that someone will come back to you is the weakest feeling you can feel. It's very disempowering. It doesn't feel good. I hate it. I hate it. Okay? So when someone dumps you and then gives you hope, that is the biggest dog act someone can do. And I hate it. And that's why I always say, if you're ever breaking up with someone, be the asshole to be the kind one. You have to make it final. If you think that you're helping someone by saying, it's over, I've broken up with you, but maybe in the future, if things change, you're actually being a cunt because you are saying, I'm not quite sure about this. I want to be the hero. I want to be the kind one in this moment. I actually care about how you perceive me more than I care about your feelings. So I want you to still like me, even though I'm ripping your heart out and fucking shredding it and stomping on it. But I still want you to like me. So I'll just, you know, give you some hope. I'll just fucking give you some crumbs of hope. 
That's so rude and so fucked, okay? This cunt, your ex, is trying to, like, breadcrumb you with hope for the future just so he looks like the nice one. So if I were you, I would be like, block, delete, say you're not interested, bye. And then if you ever want him back in your life, that's up to you. You can re-follow him, whatever, you know, but take power back. And the moment you take power back, you start to feel better about who you are. You start getting passion for life. You think, I'm actually confident. I'm actually capable of doing this. I'm capable of drawing a line in the sand. I'm capable of being decisive. And therefore, I respect myself more. I feel better about myself. And therefore, everything that you just mentioned starts to improve. Your focus will improve. Your work at uni is going to improve. Your passion for the things that you normally do, they're all going to improve with time. Okay? So that is my advice. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you could put some of that stuff in practice. Love you guys all so much. Please remember to always be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain, and don't take shit from anyone, and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke! Listener.